I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. I just want to give an exciting announcement and reminder that next week, Thursday, October 7th, marks the beginning of our family, friends, and loved ones support group. This group begins at 8.30 p.m. EST. If you want to sign up, it's not too late. That group is going to be every Thursday. You can go to the website, skeeterstrength.com, S-K-E-E-T-E-R-S, strength com. Head on over to our website and you can click on groups and click on here and go ahead and purchase an entry ticket to that group and you will receive an email with a link for our meeting. I'm just so excited to be able to connect with family and friends to help everyone better understand the BPD brain from my perspective. All right. So this week, first of all, I wanted to update you on Um, an episode that I did last week. So last week I talked about loyalty and I talked about being a good teammate and I had given an example of my son because he plays football and he has to weigh 140 pounds or less with his pads on to be able to tackle and to run the ball. And he had weighed one, I think it was 143 two weeks prior. And so, you know, he had had this conversation with him because he wasn't playing. If you really want to hear the whole story, I would definitely listen to last week's episode, but I want to update the faithful listeners listening every week. So this past Saturday, he ended up weighing in at 140, get this folks, 0.8. So my son was eight tenths of a pound over. And look, again, a rule is a rule. It's not 140.1, not 140.2 or 140.8. It's 140. So he could not run the ball. So I sat in the stands in anxious anticipation to figure out whether or not he was going to choose strength of, of character or whether or not he was going to choose to be a poor teammate and to not be loyal to his role on the team and I am a proud mama. He chose loyalty to his teammates. He was placed in a different position, a position called center, where he was able to snap the ball. He was also given a position on defense, where he was in the defensive line, and he was able to get around some guys, try to get to the quarterback, throw him off before he made that throw. So it was awesome to watch. And he decided that he still wants to be on his fitness journey. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. He has games on Saturdays. So we'll see. We're really holding out hope that he, uh, you know, that he's able to make this happen for himself. He really wants to catch that ball and run and get a touchdown. So we're all rooting for him here. I just wanted you all to know that story because I want you to see that it is difficult at any age to develop an identity. We have this idea in our minds that because we have trauma, we are victims, we have BPD, that we could be mentally ill forever. We never have to do the work of identity development. I even had someone tell me the other day that people in their yoga class are different. It's just so easy for those girls to, you know, be in yoga and, and, and just dress a certain way and look a certain way. And they're just so annoying. And I thought to myself, my goodness, no, you know, in order to develop an identity, a child has to be supported in a lot of really hard times through disappointments, through failures, through successes. They have to make hard choices to build strength of character, which is difficult on a young child. 
So if you think that identity development is only difficult for you, you might want to reconsider that thought and think again. Identity development is different, difficult for everyone, but everyone's hard looks different. So when you start marginalizing yourself from the world around you because you think I'm different, rules don't apply to me, I can't do identity development, I hope that you think of the story with my son who wasn't threatened, wasn't given any sort of, you know, we're going to make you do this. We just simply told him that if he wasn't going to be a good teammate, he should let people know because he could injure other people on the team. But we worked hard with him throughout the week, didn't say anything before the game. He weighs in on him by himself with his team. We're in the stands. He went, he chose. He chose strength of character. He was given an out for the weight loss. The out was that he could play center. He didn't have to worry about catching the ball. His coaches gave him an out because he's a kid. But nope, he chose. Strength of character, his birthday was on Wednesday. He's trying to, you know, maintain his level of fitness so he can get to 140 or lower in order to run that ball. So birthday came around. I said, do you want to have cake? Nope. Okay. Birthday party is on Saturday, so he'll get his cake and his, you know, junk food that he can have. But he chose fitness, working out, exercising over cake on his birthday. Why? Is that sad? I'm sure a lot of you out there would be like, oh, that's that that's sad. It's not. He had a great day. He chose it. It's strength of character. Again, you're looking at a child who has a goal and we're supporting him to get to that goal. And in order to develop strength of character, in order to develop strength through adversity, in order to get through disappointments, you have to be willing to self-sacrifice for a team, for a mission, and that is what he is doing. So that is identity development at the age of 12. You may be older, you may have more trauma, you may have all of these things. You still can develop your identity if you begin the path of moral compass work. Okay, all that being said, I do want to talk a little bit today about what happens when you believe the world around you is not trustworthy. So we were, my mother is here visiting, which is awesome. And we were driving around the countryside and they have these little fruit stands. And in the fruit, near the fruit stand, there's a little box with where you can put your money. So what you would do is you would drive up to this fruit stand and you would take the fruit and in exchange, you would put cash in this little box. And so we're driving and my you know, we're talking about how this works. So my mother says, well, wouldn't someone steal the money from the cash box? I'm like, well, no. Basically getting into this conversation with my son and my mother and my husband about how people aren't just dishonest like that, that they wouldn't drive up to a fruit stand in the country just to take the money out of the money box. Most people would not do that. So I'll pause there. If you disagree with me, I need you to think about the evidence that I have to support that conclusion. If people here in the country knew that someone was going to drive up to their fruit stand and take the money out of the fruit stand box every single time they put the money and the fruit out there after their hard work of the fall harvest, they need to do a lot of work to maintain their farms. They earned that money. They deserve that money. So do you think really that they would continue to put a box of cash out if people were that evil and they would go and plot against the farmers to take the money out of the cash box rather than just putting in the money and taking the fruit? 
They just wouldn't do that. So if you're so jaded and you uh, that you think that people are mainly dishonest and people are mainly evil, you want to be careful with that mentality. Oftentimes, you grow up in a family that acts in such a way that would allow you to believe those things like my family, right? So in my family, lying was common, dishonesty was common, evil acts still common behavior, making assumptions about other people's behavior, making assumptions about other people's emotions, jumping to, to conclusions. Those are things that people in my family do. People in my family often live in alternative realities, creating narratives about other people's behaviors based on their own insecurities. But that those rules, those set of social constructs only exist within that family dynamic. So when I was going out into the world and assuming that other people acted in such a way that was evil, that was dishonest, that was creating those narratives, then I was putting everyone in the world in the category of the people who traumatized me. And it's not fair to do that because that is not true. The same rules that apply in the family unit of trauma, of dishonesty, or whatever happened to you when you were victimized, do not apply to the world at large. And if you take those principles and you apply them to the world at large, then you will never trust yourself. You'll never trust anyone around you, right? Maybe never is a strong word, right? You won't fully trust yourself, I shall say. I'm going to correct my my uh, intense language there. You won't fully trust people around you. And you will have a very difficult time being emotionally vulnerable and having depth and connection with people around you. Because lack of trust and insecurity leads to assumptions, jumping to conclusions, creating narratives that allow you to avoid the pain and discomfort that you may feel in a given situation so that you can live in an alternate reality, never having to be hoodwinked, to be hurt, to be taken advantage of. When you yourself are now becoming more disconnected, more dissociate, in a more dissociative state, away from the world around you. So if this sounds like you, and you're the kind of person who doesn't trust yourself, doesn't trust the world around you, doesn't have patience and likes to try to solve problems or take on other people's problems and burdens, doesn't like to feel disappointment, tries to read other people's faces to see what emotion or what mood they might be in or creates narratives because of this lack of trust or insecurity, I want you to follow this formula I'm going to give to you today to help you overcome some of this burden. First of all, again, I'm just going to reiterate, I want you to remember that having a jaded worldview comes from trauma and it typically comes from trauma within the family unit. So please understand that the same social constructs do not exist for the world at large that they do in a family unit that operates on the basis of emotional invalidation, dishonesty, and evil behavior. That exists within certain family units. We call that, folks, intergenerational trauma. 
We don't want to take our intergenerational trauma and assume that the person that cut us off in traffic, assume that the person that gave us a, you know, that we perceive gave us a dirty look in the community, that all of those things are part of this jaded worldview. Or how about this whole football thing, right? 140.8. They're bullying my son. I could have said that, right? Injustice, 0.88 tenths of a pound. No, a rule is a rule. The people who run the football league, they don't exist within the family dynamic that I grew up existing in. They are just following the rules to keep the other kids there safe. I hope you see where I'm going with this. So here's what, what I want you to do. I want you to start practicing patience and sitting with uncomfortable emotions. So for those of you out there that have taken DBT before or are really into DBT, this is very important. Having the ability to sit with emotional discomforts is one of the biggest key factors in recovery. Hard to do. So I want you to start to do it. This is what I would suggest that you do if you're trying to enact patience. I want you to get yourself an emotion chart. Pinterest, you know, I'm kind of old, right? <laughs> Old-ish. And so uh, uh, Pinterest might not be something that you do. Check it out anyway. You could just simple search, search engine, Google search, emotion chart. Get one that feels the most effective for you. You look at it and you're like, it's too much. Maybe you even find a kid one. They have these ones for children when they're trying to build emotional resilience in children. And it's a circle and you can kind of point to the emotion that you have. Get yourself an emotion chart too. When you are in a time of distress, you feel like you can't have patience in a given situation. You feel like you need to have an assumption. You need to jump to a conclusion. You need to create a narrative and you're falling into that alternative reality. A story about how all people are going to steal your fruit stand money. Go to your emotion chart. If you can't identify your emotion in that moment, I want you to re-regulate yourself. Take that space. Change your physical state. If you're a DBT gal, guy, person, I want you to use your tip skill, T-I-P-P. If you don't know what that is, um, you can do a Google search on that too. You want to change your physical state to match your emotional intensity. After you re-regulate, you go back, you identify your emotions, and I want you to engage in purposeful journaling. So I want you to sit down at your journal. I want you to set your timer for five minutes, and I want you to write everything that comes to mind. I had a client the other day call it a brain dump. I want you to brain dump. I want you to write everything that comes to mind in your journal when that timer goes off. I want you to read what you wrote and I want you to begin to expose yourself to this to the discomfort that you are feeling by reading the things on that page. After a short period of time, I want you to set another timer for five minutes and I want you to rewrite what you have written using rational counter statements. When you have finished this 10-minute process, I want you to have planned and after care, like a self-care activity, a bubble bath, a walk, time with your dog, time in bed with some tea, with some biscuits, with a movie, a self-care activity. So go to your emotion chart. If you can't identify your emotion, re-regulate by changing your physical state. Do some purposeful journaling so you can expose yourself for little bits of time, small, short 
bursts of time to what it feels like to sit with discomfort without rescuing, without problem solving, without assuming, without jumping to conclusions. Do self-care afterwards. If you still can't shake the feeling, that is okay. This is the beginning of a longer habitual process that requires patience, self-discipline, consistency, and strength of character. All right, everybody. I hope that helps for you for today, and I will see you or talk with you next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline to Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So... If you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD. 